It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. AZ here, post-US Open, flanked by the great Mats Vlander. Eight-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, International Tennis Hall of Famer, Johnny Levine, the Texas Longhorn legend himself. There's so much to talk about, guys, after this U.S. Open. But, Johnny, let's start with this. Texas 34, Alabama 24. No, I'm kidding. No one cares about that, but we do. Uh, We will start, though, Mats Vlander with Coco Gauff because she wins her first major championship, really represents – American tennis beautifully. And when she went to the ground and began weeping upon winning that championship, it brought back distinct memories of Andy Roddick with almost the same reaction when he won that championship 20 years ago. My question to you is, is there any chance that like Andy Roddick, this ends up being the only major championship that Coco Goff ever wins? Um, Andy, Johnny, nice to be with you after the U.S. Open. Um, I don't think so. I think she's going to win plenty because I don't even think she played that good in the finals. I think what she showed uh, is she loses the first set in a few of the matches and she turns it around. Uh, And she then, at the end of matches, played really good. But there were patches where... So she's working working it out. So as a problem solver, I think she's a multiple, multiple Grand Slam champion. She can only get better. To me, because she already shown kind of what Carlos Alcaraz show. They love to compete. They love to be out there. They might not play great, but they're going to give absolutely everything all the time. And I think Coco Goff, she's a perfect example of hard work and, and passion combined. Johnny, now that they've changed the rules and coaching is allowed, is this the greatest thing that's ever happened to Brad Gilbert? And after doing what he has done in his career as a player and in his career as a coach, working with the likes of Andre Agassi and Andy Roddick, and now winning a, a U.S. Open with Coco Goff, I mean, is this just a, a, a match that was made in heaven, these two? Here's Johnny! Yeah, I do think so, Andy. And uh, again, good to be with you guys. Um I think that Brad Gilbert was a, was a great fit. And, um, you know, he has all the mental tools to be able to share with, with someone that is willing to receive his advice. And that's really the key here. I think Coco Goff had been in a funk and, and, and Brad Gilbert was the perfect recipe for her um, because Brad is full of giving confidence and, and, and understanding strategy and what a great pick for him. And Brad has always wanted the coaching to be allowed. I'm sure he gave her good tips, but we can't forget, you know, her other coach para 
Um, I think I think she and her parents probably they, they assembled a great team and and they just um, they're going to continue to to win slams. I think it's 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 a foregone conclusion. I, I agree with that. I was actually almost joking when I said, is it possible that the same thing would happen to her that happened no, no, no. to Andy, Andy Roddick? Well, what was interesting when you asked that is, that, uh, can I see a six, 17-year-old Roger Federer out there? Because he took all those majors away from Andy Roddick. And on the women's side, uh, I mean, there is Mira Andreva, uh, The What is she, 16? She fourth round in, uh, in Wimbledon. But I can't imagine. I don't see that. So, yeah, she's going to be – no, no, no. She'll be up there. When she's at her best, she's most probably unbeatable, just like uh, just like Carlos Alcaraz to me. Very similar. I like the point that you make, Matt, about her being a great problem solver. And to me, all of these big three that have done so well, you know, be it Djokovic or Nadal or Federer, great problem solvers, all of them. When she won the tournament, Matt, one of the things that Coco was very sure to do – was to thank her doubters. And I think that was off-putting for some people. I happen to like it. She talked about those of you that felt like you were throwing water on my fire actually threw gasoline on it. Do you think there was anything about that statement that was any way inappropriate, or were you fine with it? No, 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 completely fine with it. I'm sure there are there are some voices out there that she has heard at least. And, and you know, whether that's one voice or or a thousand voices, I don't think it matters, but there, it's just another reason for her to, to, uh, to keep pushing, I think, um, and, uh, and stand up for whatever rights and equal rights and on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, no, she's such a perfect uh, uh, new Grand Slam champion. It was amazing. It's nearly surreal to be there and see that happen live, to be honest. Johnny, I'm going to give you the first crack at the men's side because Novak Djokovic, uh, you know, number 24, when, when upon winning, you just texted me two numbers, a two and a four, and that said it all. And I know how happy you are, and, I, it, you know, it is really amazing. Do you think that to some extent his age, being 36 years of age, is somewhat being downplayed by virtue of the fact that, that Federer did so well into his late 30s and Rafa has played so well into his late 30s that now tennis fans are almost being spoiled with their expectations of, okay, so he's 36, so he won another major. So what? When we all know it's unbelievable to still be winning majors at this age. Well, and he's the oldest U.S. Open champion of all time. Uh, we We have to note that. I don't know, Andy. I mean, I, th- I think people really do understand um, the age thing. I mean, it, it's uh, it is remarkable. Um, it is remarkable what Federer and, and Nadal did so late in their careers. And they've kind of paved the way for these guys to to stay out there longer and find success. I mean, you can't forget Andy Murray. and You can't forget Stan Wawrinka. I mean, he's in the top 50 in the world and he's like 38 years old. So there's other guys that are doing it. It's just that Djokovic is winning the biggest events that there is. And, uh, you know, I don't know where you're going to go from here, but I have to mention the U.S. Open final match against Medvedev because that was really an amazing victory for for Djokovic in the way that he was struggling there in that second set and pulled it out. And it reminded me of the Mats Vilander 1988 where – the tactic of the serve and volley, I think, is what won him that match. 
Um, and I'd love your guys just point on it, but I mean, he literally came up a ton and he hadn't the whole tournament. Um, what, what an amazing thing to see from, from Djokovic, you know, pull that out and, and, and basically find a way that isn't his normal game. Like Matt's did against Yvonne Lendl, the servant volley winning that the, 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 there was quite a parallel there for me on the, on that final. Obviously, that one went, you know, deep into a fifth set, so there's a difference there. But Matt's, to Johnny's point, it looked mid-second set like Novak may not have his legs for a whole lot longer. And I really think that Daniil Medvedev felt that if he could pull that second set out, pull that tiebreaker out, and, and elongate this match and really make this a war of attrition, that that was going to give him the best chance possible. And to Johnny's point, Novak would have none of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Novak works it out anyway, to be honest. I was thinking, obviously, it was really close, uh, the second set of, towards the end of it, but, but Djokovic shouldn't have been in that situation from the beginning. So, I, um, no, I think that Djokovic would have at one set all. He would have saved, saved some energy, then he pushes on, and then he saves some energy. And his way of saving energy and winning was serving volleying. Uh, obviously, when he did it, he did it at the right time. Was it good serving volley? It doesn't really matter when your, your opponent is that far back. You have to hit your spot. You got to be ready to hit one volley into the other corner, and then you maybe have to close. So uh, none of it has to be as good as like a Stefan Edberg because they relied on it on every point. This was more the surprise element, and he beat him to it because tactically uh, Djokovic was saving energy, and he was winning nearly all of them when he chose to come in. Let's go to break, guys, because when we come back, I want to touch on something regarding this whole Djokovic situation that we really haven't talked much about, certainly in this show and in prior shows. And I want to touch on it when we come back from the break. You're listening to the post-U.S. Open episode of KickServeRadio.com. AZ, Mats, and Johnny back right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. guys, Sarah Z here with a kick serve, quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say more advanced or more experienced in our life? How about just body weight and body maintenance? That for me is becoming, I, I think, tougher by the day. Boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, Body Fuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have an, a fantastic product called Purify, which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, 
Um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of a cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We also offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So that these three products are, are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing, but midnight burn at night, blackwell shredded in the day, uh, and then purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, purify along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickserve Radio Boys. And welcome back, everybody. AZ, Matt, Johnny, the U.S. Open is in the books. And Matt Vlander. when are we going to start talking about Goran Ivanisevic? I mean, at some point, we've got to determine that this guy is doing something differently than what has happened before. Or am I wrong? Is it whoever happened to be sitting in the chair in the coach's box coaching Novak Djokovic would be the guy that could go home and say, I'm coaching a 24-time major champion. Goran's got to be doing more than just sitting in the box and rooting for Novak. Absolutely. I think there's a big brother situation there with Goran to, uh, to Novak. And, um, yeah, I mean, they speak the same language. So I think, uh, I think that they know, they know each other and Goran understands and he will let Novak have his sort of outburst because he just wants to – be perfect. Goran gets it and he sends the message back. Sometimes you can see it. It's not like he's just sitting there and taking it. He's like, oh, come on, Novak, we're all doing our best here. You know, let's, let's keep trying. So I think it's just a perfect relationship where for Goran, I think uh, what, a, what an unbelievable achievement after having, after having been a, a great singles player. But then to do this, uh, to me, is one of the best coaches of all time, suddenly. Before I get to you, Johnny Matz, let me just follow up on that point, because as a player, it seemed like at times Goran seemed like a guy who had lots of unfulfilled potential. Granted, uh, in the 11th hour, he got the Wimbledon title over Patrick Rafter, uh, you know, on a Monday at Wimbledon with you know just a crazy situation. But as a as a player, he didn't seem like necessarily he had the same reputation, certainly that you did which is his biggest weapon is his brain, not with a serve like that. But now suddenly he seems like he is really pushing a lot of the right buttons. You're around that scene and you know those guys. Do you see a, a, a different Goron now as a coach than you did when he was a player? No, I think as a player, when you then turned into coaching, I think as a player, you know what, how you felt and what you were doing when you were playing great, when you were feeling good. So that happened uh, much, much, much more rare for us than for Novak Djokovic. But it happened. It happened for me for a year. 
I was for a year in the 80, 87, 88. I'm sure I felt like Novak is feeling now. Like, yeah, I'm, I can win all of them. I feel good every day, every day. But then I had a downfall. But I know what it felt. And I think Goran, he knew exactly what, what Novak needs to feel. And Novak is able to do that somehow, to compartmentalize just the tennis, the perfection. Uh, it's, uh, and then bringing it every match. Like, the, I hate losing. I'm not going down. I'm going to keep changing. I'm going to keep fighting. It doesn't matter what round or what uh, tournament. That's what Goran understands you need. But to do it is very, very hard. And Novak is one of the, one of a kind. Johnny, when we were at the break, Matt said, we're definitely talking about Ben Shelton coming up here, I hope, soon. And, of course, we are. And I want to start with you with regard to, to Ben Shelton. And, and the thing that you and I were discussing that I think we see eye to eye on, which is pretty rare, is we're not necessarily big fans of, of the antics. We like the kid. And it's hard not to like the kid. And we like his game. But some of the on-court antics, are you a little surprised that Brian Shelton's kid, Brian Shelton, who is about as much of a gentleman as we've ever had in American tennis, who is a collegiate coach at the University of Florida, that his son is out there doing the hanging up the phone stuff and all that, or you figured this kid's just doing his own thing and that's who he is and that's the way it is. Are you okay with it? Well, not really. I'm not either. But, you know, these young kids, they they, they do stuff and – I mean, I think he's probably a fantastic kid. I'm sure he is. And and his dad, Brian Shelton, is a fantastic coach, fantastic person. So I don't know how they view those kind of antics. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the phone, putting the phone thing down. You know, I, I just think it rubs it into the other player's face. I think it's unnecessary. Novak Im- imitated him. In, in his victory over him. I kind of liked it. Yeah, I did too. But um, I'm not going to hold it against Ben Shelton because he's 20 years old. He's got a long way to go. And, um, you know, so we'll see what happens in the future. What do you think, Matt? I mean, is this something that this kid needs to just maybe win something before he goes into the antics or is it just let these kids be who they are? Who are we late fifties or in my case, early sixties, you know, to say what these kids should behave like, or was there much talk among the guys that sit in the booths the way you do and kind of looking upon that and having an opinion one way or the other? I mean, I think, I mean, he, he just left America, right. At the beginning of the year to go down to Australia. Uh, and uh, he's a very, uh, he's, I guess, very American sort of sports kid that have played other sports that most probably watches a ton of all the football and, and the basketball and base everything because he's grown up in, uh, in sports in general. And then he chose tennis somewhere along the line, but not that early. So I think he's just he's a sports. He's a kid still, but he's raw. I don't think it's personal at all. I think it's just something, um, you know, I'm playing my game. That's it. Phone goes down. When we come back, I want to talk about what happened to the one seeds because we've gone two segments now and we haven't gotten to anything about Carlos Alcaraz, anything about Igish Fontek. Let's talk about those two when we come back. But before I go to break, we always like to make mention of Austin Krychek and congratulations on another good run at the U S open, making it to the finals of the mixed doubles with Jessica Pagula, the semifinals of uh, the men's doubles with Yvonne Dodig losing to Raymond Salisbury. So a good run for Austin Krychek. He's, one of our boys here at kickserveradio.com. All right, when we come back, Carlos and Iga, what happened? Listening to kickserveradio.com 
here on Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Don't go away. Hey guys, AZ here with Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and I am joined by Diadem Business Development Manager, Doug Mouch. And Doug, let's face it, pickleball right now is all of the rage. However, it hasn't been exactly a seamless transition of bringing pickleball in with some of the the tennis clubs. And one of the pain points has been the sound of pickleball. And Diadem has really taken the bull by the horns with regard to some new technology that you guys have out that I think all pickleball players, tennis players, or people that have a concern about the sound of pickleball are going to be very excited. Tell us about it. This past November, we launched the Vice Paddle. And we knew it wouldn't be conforming to USAPA rules because it has the EVA foam in it. That EVA foam causes the paddle to have a little more of a trampoline effect. But our theory was it's going to help tennis elbow or pickleball elbow, help wrist issues. It will help people that need a little more power that don't have it. But the biggest factor that we have found that's helped many country clubs and communities is the noise factor. So this EVA foam device paddle, it really does not make any noise whatsoever. It's a very solid noise, more of a tennis racket. So it kind of mutes that plastic wiffle ball noise to almost zero. So it gives you a little more power, in in some cases a lot more. It's arm-friendly. It's audio-friendly. Where can people go online to find out more about Diadem's wide array of pickleball equipment and tennis equipment? Well, our website is diademsports.com. The paddle is the diadem vice. Go online, check it out. I'm Andy Zoden. Doug, thank you so much. We appreciate it and good luck with all you guys are doing. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate your time. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're going fast, and we're having fun. And there's two players that we haven't talked about, and Matt's he didn't fulfill the defense of his title. He played great. He was so entertaining. He interviewed so well. But in the end, it just seemed like Daniil Medvedev came out against Carlos Alcaraz with a game plan and execution of a game plan that none of us expected. We certainly didn't see that at Wimbledon. But overall, even though not winning the tournament, your overall assessment and feeling about Carlos Alcaraz, U.S. Open this year. Yeah, good. Really good. I think that that was an off day for Alcaraz, and Medvedev was a very, very much an on day. Uh, Medvedev served unbelievably well. He played way more aggressive than normal at times. And uh, Alcaraz sort of didn't I think Medvedev took some time away from Alcaraz which I didn't I don't think Alcaraz expected I think he expected to be sort of in charge and then Medvedev pushed him back and then I think he panicked a little bit so I've, I've he played great he's so entertaining such a great 
great guy and great player when when you get up there and you see him sort of not on a daily basis, but, you know, walking around and having a chat. So, yeah, very, very positive. Good title defense. Maybe him and Novak, it was just too good to be true. But then maybe, hey, don't forget about Medvedev and, and Zverev. And, you know, they're not that far behind. So I think, I think it was very positive. Matt, one of the things that I was criticized for as a kid was that when I played a lot of guys, if I went up against, God forbid, a Johnny Levine or a guy of that caliber, I would go out there and I would just immediately kind of mail it in. And I accepted losing way too easily. I was way too concerned about, you know, being friends with people as opposed to being opponents with them. I mean, at a certain point, I was, I was, you know, a little bit more competitive. But do you think that what you see from Carlos Alcaraz may end up costing him an occasional major because of the fact that he does keep things so positive? You just didn't see Nadal handle losing quite as well as it seems like Alcaraz did, or do you just think that this overall is just real healthy? Everything that we're seeing from him, yeah. I, for Alcaraz, it's he's on a perfect path to, to me. Okay, he's having fun. Um, he is uh, he's playing great. He has on days and off days, and uh, and it's just the same thing in Wimbledon: on day, off day. So I think he just plays that brand of tennis. I think his attitude will always be positive. I don't know if he will ever be as consistent as uh, Novak because his tennis is not it's it's risky. It's very risky and he has to he has to feel the ball and uh so I no. I he, I think I'm kind of hoping that he wins a lot but maybe not dominate. I would see the other guys push him to see him even improve and get better and and be even more magic because they are pushing him. Johnny, on the American side of things, we talked about Tommy Paul. We talked about Francis TFO. We talked about Taylor Fritz leading up to the U.S. Open. Taylor Fritz came out like a house on fire. I'm not sure the guy lost four games in a match before the third round. So he really looked like he got through the early part of the draw unscathed. And, of course, once he got to Novak uh, in the quarterfinals, that was the end of that. But your thoughts on on Fritz TFO and Paul and of course TFO and Paul both lost to Ben Shelton so another American that you know as we talked about earlier just his game was just so big that he overpowered and overwhelmed those guys but overall the American men as a whole yeah I mean Tommy Paul really had a good tournament he was down two sets to love in his second match uh, against Safalin. And um, so that was a really great effort for him to pull that match out. He beat uh, Davidovich Fokina in the third round, um, you know, relatively easily, 6-1, 6-0, 3-6-6-3. So that was pretty much a route. And that and Fokina is a fantastic player. You know, Ben Sheldon, I think he probably felt some nerves in that one, expected to win, opportunity to get to the quarters to play TFO and maybe even get to the semis of the U.S. Open. But I think Ben Shelton just had too much firepower. I mean, the guy was playing out of his mind, humongous serve, humongous forehand, nothing to lose. Um, you know, had lost, Ben had lost to Tommy Paul at, at the Australian Open. So he knew his game and he was ready for him. When you look at TFO, what a tournament he had up until he played Ben Shelton. I mean, he was really rolling easily in, in every match, playing fantastic, playing to the crowd. He got in, uh, you know, up against Ben Shelton, and the same thing kind of happened. I mean, I think he felt the pressure, and Shelton played with no pressure at all, and and came out swinging 
and uh, was just too tough for TFO. So those two guys, and like you said, Fritz, you know, he 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 routed all of his players until he got to to Djokovic, and Djokovic uh, just has the perfect game for him. Matt, we would be remiss to talk American tennis and and bless her heart. Is Maddie Keys ever going to be the same? And is this unfortunately because of the high profile nature of a U.S. Open semi, is this going to be a huge legacy match for her that 10 years from now, when people reference Madison Keys, kids are going to go, isn't that the girl that was up, whatever it was, six love, five, three in the semis of the U.S. Open, and then somehow lost to Sabalenka, and people are going to go, yeah, but, you know, she did other things too. Like, how do, you know, where does she go from here? I think she goes to understanding that she is so close. Like she's so much with it. It's so within reach for Madison Keys to be, to be beating the best players in the world in the biggest matches. And she just hasn't been there enough uh, to have Savalenka. She's there all the time now. You know, she's uh, I think Savalenka made four semis this year. So Madison Keys just have to, she's still young enough. And with that game, she, I think she's 28, I believe. Uh, so you get five, six years with that game. She's getting better. I can actually see imp- improvement with her. Every part of her game is getting better, more consistent. She seems to be enjoying it. Losing hurts more, which we saw some of now. So I think she just has to – I think she understands how close she is to be winning majors. Johnny, is it fair to push back on that only from the perspective that Maddie Keys goes out there against Sabalenka – takes a six love five, three lead and is absolutely just bringing everything she wants to, to the court that day. And, and to see that one slip away and then to see Coco Goff go out there against that very same opponent look like for lack of a better description, Sugar Ray Leonard trying to get into the ring with Mike Tyson and somehow problem solve, run around in the ring, you know, and avoid the one big punch that's going to knock her out of the ring and run around and somehow figure out a way to problem solve her way to a U.S. Open final, does that just add salt to the wound and make it that much worse for Madison Keys to see a 19-year-old do what she couldn't do? Well, I think when you look at Coco Goff, she's a much better, more rounded player, and she's got incredible athleticism. She's got a big forehand a big serve and her, she does have a big forehand, but it is her shakier shot. But what Brad Gilbert, in my opinion, has her doing is has given her the confidence that, um, that she can beat these players and that she doesn't need to fear anyone and that she needs. And I think he's gotten her to take the pressure off of herself. Cause I think she had put a lot of pressure on herself. And I think Brad is great at, getting a player to the basics of the game and, and, and playing on the tennis court and not thinking about all the other peripheral stuff. And so that's where I think Brad really helped her. I think Madison Keys, it was very unfortunate that she lost that match. Um, I think she definitely outplayed Sabalenka, and usually it's Sabalenka that's, that's choking, that's getting tight, that's doing these kinds of things. So you don't really see her come back like that. Um, and Madison, you know, she was playing fantastic. She just couldn't get that next ball back in those big moments. And Sabalinka is a big player. I think Sabalinka had the better chance against Goff. I don't think he's would have had a chance. But nevertheless, it was sad to see Madison lose that match for sure. 
Matt's one of the guys that I have to talk about because when I watch him play, particularly in these U.S. Opens, he looks for all the world like he's got the weaponry and the brain power and the movement and everything necessary to at least make it to that final weekend. Yet Yannick Center continues to come up short. An epic quarterfinal against Alcaraz last year, an epic five-setter against Verev this year. What does he need to finally move to the next level? I think it's pretty basic with Yannick Sinner. He's always going to be ultra aggressive uh, from where where from where he hits the ball from. He's going to be on the base, and I think he, he just has to work out when he needs to come forwards. I think Zverev, if Zverev could do some of that, I think Zverev would be would be a, a, even a better player because I think Zverev's serve is much better than Yannick Sinner's serve. But once the ball's in play, Sinner's is as aggressive as they come. So I don't know. He tend to. Uh, he just has to work, get into the net, hit volley after volley. Uh, it has to sort of be free-flowing for him. And he's he's not that quick forwards, I always find. Left to right, he skis. He's on skis left to right forwards. It's a little bit different, but yeah, just keep doing it. His serve most probably still is, is a work in progress that needs to improve the most. Okay. Well, as we go into the fall season... Guys, I think it's pretty well determined that we've got, you know, the number one player in the world is who it should be. It is Novak Djokovic. He wins the Australian Open. He wins the French Open, and he wins the U.S. Open. Another three majors in a year. And, in fact, Johnny, Novak Djokovic replicates the year that our boy here, Mats Wielander, had in 1988. Those were the three that he won uh, and becomes number one in the world just like Matt's did in 1988, although uh, I think maybe a few more weeks at number one. I haven't looked lately. But, uh, I mean, is this a two-horse race to the end of the year with these two? I mean, Novak is on top of the world right now, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, incredible. It's got to be so, so much easier for him to get up and do the work when he's when he's doing this. Uh, I can, I don't know, I don't want to put a, a, I think three or, four, three or four more years, maybe, five, maybe. I mean, 42, I don't know. I, he is an amazing, he's great for our game, and he is pushing Alcaraz and these guys too uh, because they're going to look foolish if Novak keeps winning three every year until he's 40 years old. So I think it takes push a lot of pressure on the younger, younger generations to get better, and they will get better. He's just as good as them, but more experienced. Johnny, last point for you john McEnroe gets beat up in social media by the press and by whoever because he refers to arnaldi this italian kid that ended up making it to the round of 16 and losing to alcaraz as an unknown and how dare john McEnroe refer to this guy as an unknown had you heard of arnaldi before he started he made a run at the u.s open because i hate to say it I had not. Was he in your draw in Phoenix even? I don't think he was ranked high enough to even make the cut. He was not, but I have followed him and known that he is a up-and-coming, fantastic Italian player. Okay. Better research next time, buddy. <laughs> 22 years of age. He's sitting right now at 47 in the world. And I did not know. I would have thought someone would have put an you know, a, a stat sheet in front of McEnroe. So he'd get to know him pretty quick, but, <laughs> but I guess not. But, uh, you know, we're going to save it for another time. But I, I, 
Matt's. I know you're not big on the greatest of all time, but it's it's getting farther and farther away. I don't know how you can't say it, but we'll, we'll maybe that's for another show, Andy. Well, let's let Matt's have the last word on that uh, on 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 the goat topic. Go ahead, Matt's. Um, yeah, I, I think it's only it's only a uh, a topic that matters once Novak is done. I think okay. he obviously has he's the best of all time. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then we might have to change that to the greatest of all greats. Greats. We don't know how far he's going. We know that Federer is done, so we know his record. Novak. It's nearly. It's a silly conversation. Let's wait three years, and he'll have another six. I mean, we we're gonna have to find some other description from just the goat or the boat. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I will say this in closing: like the '72 Miami Dolphins, whenever the last remaining undefeated team loses a game, they drink champagne. I'm sure that Matt Lander was drinking champagne. The night Carlos Alcaraz lost to Daniel Medvedev because he remains the only player in the history of men's tennis to have won four major championships before his 21st birthday and will remain that by virtue of Alcaraz not winning this title. And, of course, I know you did not celebrate that, Matt, but it is still something that uh, is a record that you hold by yourself. For the great Matt Svelander. It's a pleasure. It's, it's a, a pleasure, pleasure to hold that record, boys. It's a pleasure. Uh, we will continue to uh, we will continue to honor that record as time goes on. I'm Andy Zoden. You just heard from Matt Svelander and Johnny Levine. We are KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and we will be with you throughout the entire fall. We're going to bring on a couple of very cool guests, so stay with us, and we hope to see you soon. <laughs>